0: So this week, um, we, uh, we lost a friend, didn't we, Bella? <laughs> we lost a friend named Jody. Uh, maybe some of you met her. She um, had come to our church uh, several times over the last year and a half, I think, or so, maybe two years. And um, unfortunately, uh, just had some complications, health issues, that have been kind of with her for a long time, and they finally got the best of her and and took her life this week. And but we can praise the Lord that uh, that he did call her home, and uh, that she did make that profession of faith faith, and that she is uh, you know in that eternal home that we can look forward to be be there. But I just thought you know we should maybe just take a moment just to to pray uh, for Bella, of course, who she was a very good friend of. Uh, Jody's but also just you know for uh, you know the the mourning that goes with that for her family and friends and uh, so let me uh, just take a moment and we can pray heavenly father we do uh, just thank you for Jody Lord I thank you for the some of us who were able to meet her and get to know her a little bit Lord a, a life that certainly was not an easy one and and especially towards uh, the end Lord just uh, physical issues that just continued to haunt her and and create issues uh, for her to be able to more fully enjoy this life you've given and and so Lord it, it certainly is always sad to uh, to lose a friend to lose someone who is a part of our family here uh, but Lord we also thank you for your goodness and that we know that the that death is not the end for those who proclaim their trust and faith in you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, that this, uh, the Jody, in essence, now is in full healing, right? She's fully healed and, and has a, a whole body again and is able to, to now enjoy the life that you've given her to the fullest. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity that we will have to someday uh, be able to be with her again and to be able to enjoy that relationship once again and and interact and, and experience life together. And we, we do lift up her family and friends, and especially Bella, who's a part of our church too, that you would just bring comfort and encourage them in this time uh, that they would uh, not uh, feel alone Lord that they would uh, recognize first and foremost your presence with them Uh, Lord you have been through this as well you understand the loss that it that comes in this life and the struggle that comes with that and so you've experienced that yourself you understand what we're going through and so we just ask that you would come and comfort Bella at this time encourage her heart Uh, and comfort all of uh, Jody's family as well and that they would just recognize if they don't know you, Lord, that they would be prompted to get to know you. Uh, Lord, And we just ask that you would just continue to do your work there. Lord, you are an awesome God and we thank you for all your gifts uh, and uh, the opportunity that uh, trials and transitions and challenges like this and even death uh, is for us, but it gives us an opportunity again to turn our eyes to Jesus, to trust him to look for his help, for his comfort. And so Lord, just thank you for that and, and uh, may you be glorified in that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we continue with our 40 days of prayer. Uh, this is our fifth Sunday. We got one Sunday left and that final Sunday will be next week. Uh, the, the, the theme or the, uh, the, the focal point of next week's uh, service is, of course, Alliance Missions. And who better to tell us about Alliance Missions than Dr. David and Becky Thompson. So we're excited to have them. If you don't know them, uh, I encourage you to maybe do a little research. They've got an amazing story. God has used them in mighty and powerful ways and uh it it would be good for you to know a little bit about their background before they show up just so you can kind of get a deeper understanding of uh, of what god has been doing in and through this family and 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 so anyway so encourage you to do that there's books out there he's written books if you want to grab one they're not huge books so you probably could read them this week if you have time or at least start to get into it uh or there's other things on the internet as well matter of fact the alliance uh national office website uh, has a, a write-up on them as well, which is really good, kind of give you at least an overview. So I encourage you to do that. But this morning, we, uh, before we get there, we, uh, we're going to dive into this perspective of, uh, of the marginalized people and our need and calling to care for them. The, the reality is in our world today, in, in America, we have a particular economy, and I'm not talking about a financial economy necessarily. Uh, if you will, a certain American ideals and perspectives that we have that uh, that uh, impact our perception of our world and how we engage with it how we live our life in essence uh, we have a, 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 a system in America where the wealthy and the powerful are in control right i mean if you have a lot of money we're talking billionaire status or multimillionaire status you have a lot of power to influence to change to make impact i mean you think about you know guys like bill gates right and what they can do and, and the things that they can make happen uh, elon musk right i mean just moved his company right from california right the the power the impact that that has on a state economy a local economy but also just the impact on people's lives and the change Uh, people having to move and and live in a different state all this kind of stuff so the wealthy in america have a lot of power but also there are are powerful people who have a lot of power and and they just have power in general and and usually that's our elected officials right those who have been given power by the people those who we have elected into these offices. And it seems like the higher up you go, the more power they have. So you know, the local level, they've got a little bit of power. State level, they've got a little bit more power. You get to federal level, obviously. They have this massive amount of impact, it seems like, on our lives. And, and it's what well, I don't think it was designed to be that way, but that's the way it's developed over time. But the amazing thing is, is the wealth and the power, they kind of go back, and they can work hand in hand. If you're wealthy you can gain power and, and 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 use that power if you get elected to a position you're given power but then you're also give access to wealth as right as well isn't it amazing how many of our politicians enter office poor or just kind of like normal, like the rest of us? But after 20 or 30 or 40 years in office, all of a sudden they've got mansions all over the you know the the state, the nation, right? And and so we have this weird intermixing of this wealth and their ability to have power, but also those who have been elected into power positions also being able to interact with this wealth thing. But in general, we have this perspective, a, a formal lake perspective of success that whether you have been elected into an office or whether you have just uh, made a lot of money that you got there because you worked hard you put in the effort you were tenacious right you would not take no for an answer you continued to pursue it and because of your effort you then get wealth and power and if you have wealth and power then you're successful All of us, in essence, I think, are striving for some of that. We want a a little bit of wealth, a little bit of power so that we can control our life, right? I mean, wealth allows us to not need a job, right? So that gives us power, right? So, you know, if we have enough money that we really don't need our job, that we could quit our job, then that, you know, gives us a little bit of freedom that we wouldn't have otherwise, right? And so we're striving for that wealth as well. We're striving for that power as well. We're looking for that opportunity. We may not ever get to the level of, you know, those in politics or those like Bill Gates, but we are striving for that. And when we do get that, there is a sense that, you know, we got it because of our own work and effort. Those with wealth, those with power, are seen as being successful. And those without aren't. They're not successful. They've failed. Wealth, power, and possessions as well. Because you have this formulaic perspective, right? I put in the work and the effort, so thus I got wealth and power, and thus I'm successful. That means that wealth and power and possessions, they're mine. Uh, I'm sure you guys have watched uh, Finding Nemo, right? One of the great movies of all time. Just, you know, really speaks to, you know, the, our times, doesn't it? But uh, the seagulls are my favorite, right? Mine, 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 right? We have a bunch of Americans that are seagulls, right? Mine, mine, mine. Every possession, everything that we have, we have this perspective that it's mine. It's, it's amazing. I, I think if we go to other cultures, you, you, you can recognize it. That the american mindset is so much different than most of the world in regards to possessions that that these things are mine that i have rights they're my rights that i have this i i mean I, i remember when i went to cambodia i was shocked by the way their traffic worked right they don't have like street lights they don't have like stop signs Yet they have all of these people that are driving tuk-tuks and cars and trucks and stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. And so you have this mass of people that all come to an intersection in the middle of town. And literally there are hundreds of cars at this intersection. And all they do is like beep, 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 and kind of make their way around, right? There's no like, you know, right away, nothing. Uh, People cut you off, no big deal. Nobody's yelling, nobody's upset. It's just like you're just kind of doing, you're just getting by, right? And it's, I think, partly because of a different mindset. They don't feel like they own the road. They don't feel like this space is their space, that it's mine, right? They think, no, we're all kind of here, we're gonna all kind of get to our where we want to go. And so there's this kind of this community perspective that Americans don't have. We earned it. It's our blessing. And because we earned it, the possessions are mine. As a result, with those possessions, we build grand mansions in our honor. Bigger and bigger homes, bigger and bigger possessions, nicer and nicer cars, better and better clothes, you know all this kind of stuff, bigger and bigger nest, nest egg, right, so that I can retire sooner. We build grand mansions in our honor. Christians, of course, have not missed out on this opportunity for wealth and power. Uh, Christians have been enculturated just as much we, I think many of us in, American, uh, in America as Christians, we, we have the same mindset. We, we see things the same way. Now, we may not say it out loud, but the way that we live our lives is so often exactly like what our American uh, kind of perspective of wealth and power is. We want wealth and power just as much as non-Christians do in America. We are striving, we're living, we're trying to survive and make it through in this world and build up our wealth and be able to retire early be able to have you know, more things, to have more possessions. And we even translate this formula of success and in, in according to America into our Christianity so that even our spiritual lives are based on the same formula. I put in the effort, I put in the work, then God's going to bless me. When God blesses me, that means I'm successful. Discipline equals gifts equals success. And we look around in our churches on Sunday morning and we look to see who's the most blessed. Those who have the most gifts, those who have the most blessing, they're obviously the most successful. They're the ones who love Jesus the most. They're the ones who've lived their life for him the most sacrificially. And those who don't have those blessings, they're not. They're not successful. They're struggling. They're the ones, boy, they need a little more Jesus. They probably need to pray a little bit more. Boy, you know, if they just showed up to church more often, I think, you know, things would be better for them. We too build grand temples in our honor, don't we? Churches, big builder, big builder, big, I can do this, build bigger and bigger (laughs) churches. The buildings get bigger and grander. But even our homes personally get bigger, compile more wealth. You can already tell, you know this is true. That this is not the way that God has called us to live that there is a different economy in God's kingdom than in the American kingdom. You see, we have to start with this reality that first of all, God owns it all. You see, in American mindset, I own it. I worked for it. I earned it. I deserve it. So it's mine. It's not in God's mindset. Colossians 1.16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were created through Him and for Him. All things, not just, you know, like creation, right? All things. Everything belongs to God. We have no possessions. We have no money we have no property we have no gifts we have no blessings none of it is ours they are gifts that come to us from god but they're never ours even when he gives them to us they're not ours not ours to keep not ours to hang on to everything we've give, we've been given we have not earned it we don't deserve it it is a gift Life itself is a gift. All the things that we enjoy are a gift. The fact that you were born in America is a gift, or that you're now living in America, able to live in this American economy, is a gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You just happened to be born here. And God blesses us abundantly, but he blesses everyone abundantly. Matthew 5, and 45, Jesus is talking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, you know, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he causes rain on the good and the bad. Right? I mean, He's everyone is blessed. All of life is a blessing. No one earns it when we get to experience some of the abundant blessings of this world, they are God's generosity to us, not because we deserved it, not because we've been a good boy, and so we get a reward. As I pointed out in communion this morning, you know, we, I don't think we recognize this reality that we have received the greatest gift ever. We look at so often at the things of this world as the greatest gift ever. The greatest gift ever is being born in America. The greatest gift ever is having a really nice house. The greatest gift ever is having reconciled relationships. The greatest gift ever is to be able to have a really nice car. The greatest gift ever is to be able to go on vacations. The greatest gift ever is to be able to retire early. The greatest gift ever, you know what I'm saying? Everything is focused here. These are the greatest things, these are the things that we get most excited about. These are the things that fill our hearts with the most joy. But the greatest gift we've ever received was the fact that Jesus died for us. And we lose sight of that. We forget about that. And when he died for us, he didn't die because we deserved it. He didn't die because, oh boy, you know, you guys are coming along pretty well. Got a lot of potential. I think it's, you know, I'm going to die for you now. We are totally undeserving. Nothing we could do to earn it, and he died for us anyway. And so for us to recognize this reality, if that is the only gift we receive in all of our life, it is enough. How often do we continue to crave for more and more? How many times have we prayed, God, why won't you give me more? Why won't you bless me? Why do I have to deal with all of these curses, all these struggles, all these trials? Why don't you just give me? What, do you ever do anything good for me? Oh my gosh, do we realize what we just said? Have you ever done anything good for me? Yeah, I just died for you. No big deal, though. This is why this verse is so important. The greatest form of love that anyone can give is to lay one's life down for a friend. And this is what Jesus has done for us. Can we find contentment? Is it possible for us as American Christians to find contentment in what he's already done for us instead of always looking for more? It's not that we shouldn't put in effort. We should worship the Lord. But we spend our life, it seems, as Christian perspective with this American ideal, a formulaic perspective of success. I became a Christian, great, that's, you know, all good. Jesus, what he did for us, and now I'm a Christian, so now i got to put in all this effort so that I can get more blessings, so that I can be successful as a Christian. This is not the formula of Scripture. The formula of Scripture is Jesus has done it all for us already. And the moment we enter in the kingdom of God by bowing our knee to Jesus as Lord, we get it all. We've got all we could ever want. I mean, we get all of Jesus. We get all of the Holy Spirit. We get all of eternity. We've got it all already. And so the rest of our life is not working for a blessing. The rest of our life is working in worship of Jesus and what he's done for us romans 12 1 in view of god's mercies offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing for this is your what spiritual act of worship this is the life of a christian not a life striving for blessing we've already received it all it's a life striving to worship all the effort we put in is not to gain anything it's to honor Jesus we also must recognize the spiritual blessings above the physical blessings see God does give us physical blessings for sure and we've experienced it some more than others that's a reality and we praise the God and we thank we praise God and thank him for that. But what about the spiritual blessings? Have we ever recognized that those are more important? Again, our eyes are so focused on the physical that we want the things of this world. We want wealth, we want power. But we don't recognize the spiritual blessings are so much greater. 2 Corinthians great passage, chapter 4, 16 to 18. to enjoy eternal blessings instead of physical ones. To recognize that the, 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 the blessings of the soul are so much greater than the physical blessings. This is the challenge of living in a wealthy nation. We are surrounded by wealth, and we don't even recognize how great that wealth is oftentimes. But we're surrounded by it, and so we're constantly tempted by it. Come and hang out and be a part of this wealth and power thing. I've got to, you know, we're just constantly, we just got to, this is what we have to do. This is the, the life that we're called to live. But Jesus is constantly telling us no, 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 it's the spiritual things that count, it's the eternal things that count. You can't take any of this stuff with you, it's not that important. What did Jesus say in Matthew seven, right? Or I think it's in not seven, I believe. So what he says, hey, you know, don't worry, you know, look at the birds of the air, right? They don't gather, they don't collect, they don't store away in barns. Yet God takes care of them. You. you think you maybe might be in more more important than birds. So with this perspective of blessings, this perspective of gifts of This perspective of the wealth that we get to enjoy in this world. That helps us to be able to recognize this next piece of what do we do with it. Because last week we looked at the fact that there's this great commission that we've been called to share the love of Jesus with the world. But there's also, in my opinion, a great obligation that all Christians are called to as well. 1 John chapter 3, 16 to 18. By this we know love. Again, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, we have been given these blessings, certainly to enjoy ourselves but they're never meant to be kept for ourselves. They're always meant to be passed on to others. We are not to cling to the worldly blessings that we have, or even the spiritual blessings that we have. We should be seeking to pass those on to others. God invites us, prepare to be offended, God invites us to the redistribution of wealth. not because the government mandates it, but as individuals freely choose to be generous with what they've received. A generous heart comes out of the perspective that it's not mine. A generous heart comes out of the perspective that I didn't earn this. The great obligation that we have is to care for the needs of others, to care for the marginalized, if you will. Of course, the great passage that drives this home is Jesus' parable, right, about the sheep and the goat in Matthew 25. Those who are hungry... Those who are thirsty, those who are naked, those who are strangers and sick and in prison, those are the ones that we should seek to care for. We have an obligation to care for them, Jesus says. matter of fact, if you don't, then you will be thrown away into the land of gnashing of teeth, right? The, the land of, of hell, right? This is, this is important piece. This is the great obligation, is that we don't hang on and cling to the gifts that we've been given, but we share them with others. When we understand this reality, see, sometimes we can get pretty judgmental of the marginalized. We drive by a homeless person and we just say, well, you know, this is, you know, you you deserve to be on the street because, you know, you've just made mistakes or you've got issues or you've got sin or you've got whatever. And so we just kind of, we can sometimes just kind of dismiss them. But when we understand that all we have received has not been earned, but is just a gracious gift from God, then we can also understand that those that don't have are not receiving nothing because they earned that or deserve that read Romans 9 sometime a brutal chapter in there where it talks about how God will have mercy on who he has mercy some will receive more of it than others in this life it doesn't seem fair it not isn't doesn't seem equitable We have to get our eyes off this perspective, get away from this formula of works equals blessing equals success. When we understand that the person on the street is not, I mean, the the great phrase, but for the grace of God go I, can we remember that and understand what that actually means? That if it wasn't for God's grace and the blessing and the mercy that he's shown us, we would be that person on the street. Again, back to the you know the fact that you were born in America. Imagine if you were born in Cambodia. I was born in 1970. I can I I don't know that I'd be alive today if I would have been born in Cambodia. Pol Pot and the whole the rise of uh, the Khmer Rouge and I mean the millions that died in the killing fields in Cambodia. I don't know that I would be alive today if I was born. So so oh, my to go. Wow! Oh, look at me! Look what I did! Great! I'm an American. Woo! You know? No. It creates humility, like, oh my gosh, I didn't deserve this, I didn't earn this, but I have received it, and so I need to be thankful for it, and then also look for the opportunity to share it. So who are the marginalized among us today? I think it's similar to what is laid out in Matthew 25, certainly hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prison, but also we have, you know, I mean, think, you know, just in our terms today, homeless. The poor, maybe the immigrant, especially maybe the illegal immigrant. How about how about a family or an individual with special needs? How about a single parent? Single parent home striving to try to make it make it happen. Oftentimes looked down upon. It's it's a crazy culture we have, right? Think about that, right? I mean, our culture is pushing sex, 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 right? It doesn't matter. Hey, I can see sex, and it's not, like, a bad thing. Last time I did it, it was horrible. Anyway, but uh, (laughs) our culture is pushing, you know, this sexual revolution on us. Yet, when someone gets pregnant out of wedlock, it's like, oh, my gosh, how horrible is that? That's a shame, shame, right? I mean, this is crazy. What are we doing, right? We set them up for all of this, and then we just... Anyway, so we have single parents, I think, that are certainly marginalized. Prisoners marginalized. The mental... Illnesses that we have, people with mental illness. I think in our world over the last maybe twenty or thirty years now, the elderly are becoming more and more marginalized. It's like ah, let's put them in a home. I don't want to have to deal with that, right? You know, those who are widowed or divorced. I think about this in the church, right? I mean, you know, the church is all about family, and so the question has to be asked: Well, what if you're single? Where do I fit in? It's all about family. It's all about couples' retreats, right? If I'm divorced, where do I fit into that? How do, I, how do I now connect with people that, you know, seem to have this, you know, family unit taken care of? Or what if I'm widowed? Where do I go? How do I, how do I interact, right? I mean, I think these are marginalized as well. So these are some, I mean, there's more. This is just a list of a few that I was thinking of. So how are we caring for them? Do we even recognize them? I mean, do they even exist in our minds, right? Do we have any awareness that they're there? Or are we so focused on the American formula effort, effort, effort so that I can get wealthy, so that I can be successful, that we don't have time for that? Are we too focused on building up our mansion? Too. Busy using the blessings that we've had for our own joy. Jesus gives us an example, and I want to uh, hit a couple stories here to, to remind us, because, of course, Jesus was all about the marginalized, right? It seems like those are the ones he was drawn to the most and as we kind of talked about last week, why would, they, why would he be drawn to them? Because the marginalized recognize that the world isn't all that it's cracked up to be, right? They're looking for answers, and Jesus was the answer. And so the message I gave last week about evangelism fits into this week as well in the sense that not everyone who is marginalized doesn't know Jesus. But many who don't know Jesus are marginalized, and they're the ones who are looking for answers and so jesus gives us an example first of all zacchaeus remember this tax collector right talk about marginalized now you would think now this guy was wealthy but marginalized you know would be different in our culture today i don't know he'd be as marginalized as he is in this culture back in back 2000 2000 years ago but he's a tax a wealthy guy but he's yeah rejected by the jewish culture He's a traitor, right? He is a bad guy. No one likes him, because he's the one who goes not only to collect taxes, but he, you know, he has to earn his living off of that, and so he can mark up the taxes, whatever he wants, in order to, you know, kind of, you know, fill his cupboard, right? And so he can add an extra percent, or two percent, or whatever he feels he wants to do, and the Roman Empire will protect him and defend him whatever he wants it's amazing so anyway we see this Zacchaeus character Jesus walking through town and he's it says Zacchaeus was you know like me he was a short guy right and uh, which we all know that the short guys are always the holiest right I mean that's just is there something about that I don't know it's in scripture all over the place right David you know little guy giant he was a bad guy right so anyway um so we got this Zacchaeus character, right? He's a tax collector, and Jesus is walking through town. But Zacchaeus, he wants to see this Jesus, right? So he climbs this tree, and Jesus says, he's walking by, he sees Zacchaeus. Yo, Zacchaeus, man, you got to come down. I'm doing dinner at your house tonight. Like, I mean, he's excited about it. You can see there's this excitement in the, in the verse. But the reality of this story, this example that Jesus sets for us, is that everyone deserves a second chance. And we need to have this perspective as well. We can't just write people off. No, they're too far gone. They're too far out there. They're too radically different. They're too, they've, tra- they've, they've, traded, they've traded their soul to the government or they've traded their soul to this world or whatever. We can't, we can't write them off. We have to give them a second chance, which means in a personal perspective that we must be quick to forgive. Because oftentimes, they've taken advantage of us. We've been hurt personally by it. Think about this tax collector. How many people he has hurt personally? And yet, Jesus gives him a second chance. And of course, the story is amazing. Right? He like gives half his wealth to the poor, and then he like pays back four times all the people that he cheated throughout. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The next story is in John chapter 4. By the way, that first story is in Luke 19. Second story is in John chapter 4. The adulterous woman at the well. Hmm. Amazing story. This woman who is coming to to get water in the heat of the afternoon, which again points out this reality that she's been rejected by her town, by the city, by the culture, right? They all recognize that she's kind of, you know, had a bunch of different husbands or whatever throughout her life and so she's kind of been kicked out she's that marginalized by the culture no you can't come in the morning to get water with the rest of the women no we're not going to hang out with you you got to come later so she's there alone in the afternoon no one else with her and she's a Samaritan. Jesus is Jewish, right? Samaritans were rejected by the Jews, so there's that marginalization as well. Yet Jesus shows up, sitting there at the well. Here comes this woman. She shows up to get water, and Jesus says, hey, can you give me some water? And she immediately is like, whoa, what are you talking about? Why are you even talking to me, let alone asking me for water? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't talk. Matter of fact, don't you recognize who you know, I'm coming in the middle of the afternoon? You think maybe you know, there's other issues going on, Jesus? Of course, he knew all of that, but he reaches into her heart, into her life, and reveals that all people need respect. The fact that he asked her to draw water for him, he respected her. We must like Jesus, learn to value all human life. We need to look them in the eye. How many times have you been driven by a panhandler or a homeless person and just like, I'm not looking that way, right? I don't want to make eye contact. You're... You're by that action. Now, again, it's some, I'm not saying it's always purposeful, but when it is purposeful, and I know, I've done it myself, so I, I know what that feels like. Sometimes it's just you're looking at other things, that's fine. But other times, you're like, oh, you see them, and you go, oh, no, I'm not going to look that way, right? I've done it, all right? But by doing that, we are disrespecting them as a human being. We're saying they're not valuable. Most people, if we see them on the side of the road or on the sidewalk or whatever, we're going to look at them. We need to look at these people. We need to recognize that all life is valuable, whether or not we give them a little bit of cash for food or not, that doesn't matter. But are we gonna, res- well, maybe something that doesn't matter, but I mean, we need to respect them. Finally, the last story I wanna hit real quick. I think I can hit it real quick. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, I got that. Uh, is, uh and this is, the, I think this is the best one. I, I'm gonna read this in Luke chapter 7. Verses thirty six to forty eight. Thirty Yeah. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisees' house and reclined at the table, and behold a woman of the city, who was a sinner, prostitute. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, this Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender and two debtors, owed one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Amazing story. About how Jesus recognizes love and how everyone needs love longs for love desperate for love and how we how he recognizes that that love changes us right i mean this has story this has applications for our own life that we would recognize our own sinfulness and i think as american christians we we're weak in this area We can oftentimes just kind of overlook our sin and not recognize how much we really need Jesus. But more than that, that we would recognize as well that those who are struggling in life, those who are most sinful among us are the ones who need Jesus the most as well. And that we need to seek them, to seek to care for them, to bless them, to show them Jesus' love, that Jesus accepts them just as they are. We so often, if we do reach out to the marginalized, we're trying to save them from their circumstances instead of recognizing that they are loved and accepted just as they are. We so often are unwilling to get dirty in order to interact and love them. We want them to get cleaned up so that then we can love them better. No, no, we need to learn to get dirty, to get down in the dumps with them in essence and be able to show them that they are accepted just as they are, even in their sin, even in their failure, Jesus knows them. He's aware of them. He loves them. We must learn to have compassion like Jesus did. All right, worship team, come up. Just one closing kind of point. I want to kind of shift just gears just briefly for a moment. So we've been talking about our role to reach out to the marginalized, to, to recognize that we, everything that we have has been a gift that's been given to us from Jesus. And so then we take those gifts, and we are, they're meant to be shared, and we share them with those around us who need them. But I want to kind of turn around now look at it from those who may be the ones who are marginalized. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're the one that's been pushed out, you're the one that's not accepted. You're the one that's not respected. And so I want to just give some encouragement to those if you are in that spot. First of all, to recognize that those in the midst of struggle, you, you need to continue to seek Jesus. He is the one who will care for you. He's the one That you can trust. Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, Jesus gives this interesting story about a woman and a bad judge. And the woman continues to harass this judge about getting justice. And finally, the judge gives in. And the point Jesus (laughs) is making is saying: hey, don't stop asking. It's okay to continue to pray over and over again. Jesus, help me in my situation. Jesus, help me where I'm at. Jesus, I need to be accepted. I need to know your love. I need to experience. I need you. Be persistent. Stop asking Jesus. He is our hope, our only hope. He is your hope, your only hope. Not your family, not your church, not the government. Jesus is your hope. He's the only one who can step in and allow you to feel loved and accepted and successful. Not based on what you've done or what maybe you will do someday, but simply based on the fact that He created you and loves you. And also remember that our ultimate hope is always realized spiritually and in eternity. We will suffer. We will overcome 2nd Corinthians 4 7 9 we may die we will die but we will resurrect so Jesus is our hope continue to pursue him Heavenly Father I, I first just ask you would help us to loosen our grip on the blessings that we've received Lord, it's so easy to, to cling to them with desperation. Maybe, maybe we've never had them and we've just received them and so it's like we don't want to lose them and so we cling to it. Or, or maybe we've just had it for a long time but it's just kind of the routine that we now just use it all for ourselves. Lord, loosen our grip on the amazing blessings that we've received. Help us to recognize that they're just simply gifts that you've given us. But they're not gifts to be kept. They're gifts to be enjoyed, certainly, but also passed on. And that is always the greatest joy, to be able to give that gift to someone else, to pass that blessing on to someone else. It's amazing. Lord, also, second, I I pray that you would open up our eyes to the needy around us. Lord, if we have maybe gotten in the, just kind of the habit of just ignoring the homeless or ignoring the marginalized in our world in some way, that I, I just pray that you would just, you'd, you'd open up those eyes again. Lord, you'd just give us eyes to see once again. To see those who are around us every day that are hurting in some way, that are suffering loss, That have great needs, maybe their material needs, maybe their emotional needs, maybe their spiritual needs. That we need to be people who are aware and looking for those. Because, Lord, you have gifted us, and as you've gifted us, Lord, you've given us the gifts that are meant for them as well to be passed on. So, Lord, just help us to do that. Lord, help us as a church to practice this even in, in, within our family here. To be generous with what you've given us. To stop placing our hope in the things of this world and start placing our hope only in Jesus. Build a generous heart, a thankful heart in us. So, Lord, we could operate a little bit more like the early church did. Not that they were perfect, but this passage in Acts 2 or Acts two is just so beautiful and we would be similar in our way that we function. Verse 42 and following, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you, church. Good to see you all. Have a blessed day.